Welcome to Book to Where Two Guys Tell You About the Books They're Reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. So um, apologies for the delay in this episode, but we think you're going to be pretty excited about, um, well, not why we had to hold it up, but the fact that we held it up for exactly this. Exactly. We, we're blowing blowing your socks off tonight. Yes, if you have socks on, take them off because they're at risk of being blown up. Earlier we had a discussion right about red carpet. This is a red carpet episode, whatever that means. But now if your socks are blown off, you can curl your toes in the beautiful red carpet. Well, yeah, I don't if you know leave your socks on and you're walking on the carpet, and then you're going to get a shock when you go and touch like a drawer handle or something like that. So it's just common safety. Take your socks off. Wow. All right. Thank you for tuning in the book. Excellent beginning. Um, so here's what we have this episode. We have a um, we have a review, a book review, the first one in it seems like forever. We have a special guest host, and we have an interview. So I, I think the last time we did this was when we had Dan Hines and David James Keaton on. Oh God, that was that was episode nineteen. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if that's the last time we actually did this, where we had a guest host and, a, and an interview. So at any rate, buckle up, kids, because it's going to be a long, long ride. Our guest host this evening um, is of booked fame. That's how he made his uh, his breakout debut and how people know him. Uh, that's not true at all. <laughs> no, let's, we'll claim that. That's how it is. Yeah, yeah so he's, he is nice enough to put up with us, not once, but now twice. So uh, Josh Mallerman is the lead singer and songwriter for the rock band The High Strung. He lives in Ferndale, Michigan. And is a um, co-winner of a This Is Horror Award, yes. along with who else? Who else won in that? that uh, the Booked Podcast um, for That's 2014 won Podcast of the Year. Correct. We haven't so, mentioned jo- that yet. Josh Mallerman won Novel of the Year with Bird Box, which we reviewed here and loved so much. Um, and uh, he is also now a Bram Stoker nominee. That's... Uh, that's pretty good, right? First it's a novel. big fucking deal. I was so telling someone at work. I was telling someone at work that we're interviewing to, or that we're going to have two Bram Stoker nominees on. They're like, who's Bram Stoker? Oh, get the fuck. You're, that was the, you I swear to God, man. I hand to God. I have one. I have one cord. <laughs> what I should do is actually bring something she says to every single episode. So <laughs> like, just check in because I've got she also said. So I tell her doing this interview when I thought we were doing it on Monday night. Right. Yeah. So I go, yeah, listen, I got to get out of here. We're doing this interview with this Brown Stoker. So she says that, right? And I go, no, no, no. I go, no. And she goes, oh, she goes, oh, did he put that on his? And then she pauses and says, resume. Oh, fuck. She doesn't even want to say the word resume. Here's the worst part. Earlier in the evening, she said it because someone called (laughs) asking about resumes. She had, I go, you just said this word like three hours ago. She's like, yeah, I'm not sure how you say it, though. So at any rate. This is already going to be a long episode. (laughs) But I will try to every week bring you. I'm not going to say her name, but I'm going to bring you something from my coworker every week if I can because it's good stuff and because we no longer have any additional content from other people. So That's right. We've been abandoned by all of our skip papers, Lee. That's right. Um, So Josh Mallerman (laughs) is going to join us to talk about The End in All Beginnings by John F.D. Taff. Uh, Yes, and here's a little bit about John. A little bit, meaning there was a longer bio that we cut down because we hate long bios. John F.D. Taff is a horror-slash-dark speculative fiction author with more than 25 years of experience. He's a published author with more than 70 short stories and seven novels in print. His writing has a distinct pulpy Twilight Zone vibe to it. He also writes fantasy, suspense, and some science fiction. And Stoker Award nominee as well. 
not Stroker. Dude, Remember when your co-hooker, yeah. your co-host, or your your coworker said Stroker? Maybe that's the problem. She was thinking of someone with the last name Stroker, not Stoker. That could be. I'm thinking. I'm gonna. Um, give, I'm gonna give her the benefit of the doubt. What kind of fucking podcast has not one but two Brown Stoker nominees on? And they're going to be on at the same time, a little later this episode, because we're going to have John Taff on for an interview That's with right. Josh Mallerman and me and you. So let's read our bios. <laughs> Robin <laughs> Livius host book podcast. Yeah. Livius Nedden and Rob Olson are the award-winning hosts of... <laughs> yes. Fuck. Yes. God, can you imagine if we read a bio for ourselves every episode? Oh, my God. We, you know what? We should do this. All right, Josh, thanks for coming back onto the podcast and uh, agreeing to talk about this book that actually you put on our radar. Oh, oh man, I didn't realize that I was the one who told you about the end and all beginnings. That is magnificent. That is yeah, totally Yeah, you raved about it in, uh, in, when, we were, when we had you on for your interview. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I didn't realize. I, I'm sure I realized it on. We have it on tape. Um, proof of what you're saying, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I realized that uh, that that I had introduced it to you guys. Um, yeah, yeah. This one, this one is as as good as it gets as far as I go. And uh, it was not. I, I have here. I got a copy in the mail, right? Um, signed by John, and it says to Josh. Hope you like the stories. And then, oh, he sent it on Halloween, right? Or he signed it on Halloween, nice. which is pretty awesome in and of itself. So I got this in the mail because we had, like, written about, you know, sending each other a book, right? And I hope you like the story as well, right? You know, <laughs> man, uh, I mean, this is, I, I had an interview recently on um, for five horror novels that made me fall in love with the genre. I listed this because it's one that, you know, even if you fall in love every day with it, this is one that that had me falling in love all all over again with it. Um, I'm not a huge fan of sort of like approaching books like in an academic way, meaning in the same way that like who cares if a guitar player is really great, you know, it's the soul of the musician that we're all really excited by. Mm-hmm. And I think that this book, um, or, or really our the whole genre is sort of we're all looking for like the most like like the, the the deepest well behind it or the most spirit or that kind of thing. I think we're all like really thrilled when there's like superb writing and John is really great. But what this book has that I got fairly early on was like some serious spirit, some serious soul. And uh, yeah, it immediately ranks as one of my favorites that I've ever read. Very nice. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to run through story by story because there's only five stories. So we're going to do like a quick synopsis, kind of some quick thoughts. Um, we're going to start with... Uh, with what becomes God. So this story um, is a man reflecting on his childhood and in this particular point in his childhood where his best friend, so the the narrator's name is Brian, Brian's best friend Charlie um, has cancer. And, you know, through the course of the story, we find out that that he's dying from it. So he's kind of progressively getting getting worse. It's it's I guess the the structure, the foundation of the story is essentially it's like a kid with a with a rough childhood. His friend Charlie kind of has the things that he'd like to have like he always gets all the new comic books and stuff but again charlie's got the problem like he's terminal he's not going to be around forever and it's just that like the the gravity of the story is that that this is stuff that kids don't usually have to deal with they like they're avoiding it and it's all like the thing that nobody's saying um and we're kind of like the uh i mean it's it's pretty much like a straight story throughout it's not like monsters and you know stuff like that 
Um, there's a twist later on that happens that's got a little bit of like a freakiness to it, but uh, it's really just. <laughs> a, I think <laughs> Livius is laughing because it's an understatement. Uh, but no. like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's like such a, a gravity to to the situation of like this this kid and his best friend and and you know what what would you not do at that age to to not lose someone really was kind of the big punch. Well, here's where I started to really fall in love with this book and and this is where where it, it's going to sound like very academic and I don't I guess I don't mind and. Um, if I'm a conspiracy theorist or whatever, but it seems to me that the whole book as a whole, the way the stories are arranged or, or ordered, um, is the cycle of life. And this is something I'll ask John. We'll see. He might be like, "What? Uh, whoa! You saw that in there? This isn't about the lunar landing, right?" But <laughs> if we start with the first story, and, and with each one, I'll, I'll I'll point this out to us. But the first one, when then would be childhood. All right. Mm-hmm. And um, when I again, when I got this book, and it starts with what becomes God. And the opening chapter, or whatever it is, is the prologue. Was it two or three? You know, and it's all very like poetic at first. And I was like, oh boy, what, what am I about to like enter? This like five novellas. Like I thought it was going to be sort of more misty, foggy sort of uh, thing. And I realized that that's sort of just the very beginning. Which, just bear with me, could almost even be birth. Okay, and what becomes God? Right? What a title. So it's a very, to me, it's a very poetic beginning. And the things you guys pointed out, the whole. Um, uh, um, the tension or whatever about uh, Charlie. Charlie's the main boy, right? No, Charlie is the dying one. Charlie Charlie's has dying cancer, one. yes. Mm-hmm. So Brian is the main boy. Yep. Right. So Brian, how he like doesn't really know how to talk about it with him, and he starts to get angry. Are are we worried about spoilers on this um, podcast? Uh, typically, yes, but with novellas or short stories, there's really not. I don't know what he's right. doing. Typically, we don't like spoil like if there's a twist at the end, like we probably won't mention that. Yeah. But like we can, uh, we can go. All right, so then we don't story. need to. So we don't need to do that then. But but it seems like that one of the really one of the most fun, or not fun, but the sort of the most hard hitting parts of the story are those moments where Brian isn't sure how to like talk to him about it, or oh my gosh, that great stretch with the frogs in the astronaut training oh god yeah that is that's amazing (laughs) isolation how they bury the frogs and then he you know brian has to come outside late at night and dig them up because it's like dude he's a little freaked out about death because his like best friend's dying you know then to think of these like like frogs like buried outside oh my god right yeah talk about an emotionally heavy part of like a fucking story where like yeah he he can't bear these frogs to suffer like it, it just like it came out of nowhere and it's just so endearing and it's like obviously yeah. it mirrors everything that's going on with charlie and everything so and some of that has to do with the fact that it's not so i mean he does obviously doesn't want the frogs to die too but he doesn't want charlie to be let down because this is right. how charlie thinks he's going to save himself so it's like the lengths this child goes through you know to to and the intelligence, the insight that he has on how important this is. It's really, here's my note on this. I made one note on this. I got the narrator's name, the Charlie's the dying friend. And as I was going, I was kind of making notes on these stories. It says really, really sad. And then it says, wait, what the fuck happened to this story? Because it goes in a slightly different direction. It really does. I, you know, we can ask John, but I, I wonder if that's if this is a case of, um, uh, you know, like that's how... Uh, Brian like imagines it going or something, you know, or or I'm afraid to give a spoiler, but or, or if that, you know, 
gives Charlie life after death kind of like in a, in a way. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. I, I wonder if it's kind of that. I personally would rather approach horror stories as they're sort of literally old, like everything you read is actually happening. Yes. Like the guy, you know, those kind of like monstrous things. Like that's not a metaphor. That's just that's happening in the story. Yep, yep. But this one does smell a little bit of like maybe Brian is like hoping this happened or something. Or even though it's weird, but it, it would it would extend Charlie's life, I guess. Yeah. So probably that's all we're going to say about that story. But uh, heck of a story. Not really heavy on the horror, but goddamn, is that a good story? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm going to come out early and say it. My favorite story of the collection. Wow. Oh wow. Cool. Yeah. Normally right. I would save that for towards the end, but yeah, I, I was I was really blown away by this one. You know, it would be hard not to start your anthology with your best one, mm-hmm. you know, hey, because here you that. are thinking like you want to get you want to get people to freaking read it, you know? Yeah, that's, <laughs> what, that's what we did when we released our anthology. Oh, you did. OK, the one that you thought was the best you put first. Oh, man, it's just like a, <laughs> it's just like I've had. Pe- all right. So not to we love all those stories equally. Nope. <laughs> with that. We, we've had, I've had people like just send me a message and be like, holy shit, that first story. Because it's just such a gut punch, and like, yeah, I agree. You really have to just start strong, start strong, and end yeah. strong. It's like an album. Like you get, your opener's got to be good, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the next story in the collection is called Object Permanence, and okay. um, we have very little notes on this, but essentially, uh, the the protagonist in the story is a guy named Chris, who we start out in a mental institution with him, or some sort of like, yeah, like asylum kind of place, right? Yeah, and he's just going through. He it, it plays him up as like this really dangerous, violent person, who um, people are nervous to interact with and everything, and bad things have happened. And then he starts having these kind of um, hallucinogenic, not not hallucination, uh, kind of hallucination, weird dreams, like really messed up, really weird, gory kind of dreams. And and uh, I don't know. Someone want to jump in? Like the way like like there's a little twist with what he can do, where like. He said something about forgetting people, and you don't really know what he means at first, but like it, it's, yeah. it comes out pretty early in the story that if he forgets someone, they actually cease to exist. Which is awesome. I, I love that. And, and the whole Aunt Olivia that has like such like the stronghold on that, and how he, I don't really, I don't know if I ever fully understood why he was a threat to Aunt Olivia. Was it because like he was as like powerful as her and then could therefore change? the reality she was trying to like sustain is that why she got rid of him i don't know if i remember that exactly he had the power to stop her i think like i think right okay like so i I felt like it was unclear and almost purposely unclear like you didn't need to know why yeah which was great all right so the interesting thing about this story is that it starts off first person he's in the mental institution and he, um, as Rob had kind of said, I, mean, I don't think we're spoiling He uses his powers to escape from the mental institution. It's fucking horrifying because <laughs> he purposely that? forced himself to forget everybody that works there. <laughs> like, it's just, everybody disappears. Yep. I was going to say, let's not gloss over the fact that he just wipes out everybody that works for which the is, Listen, which is yeah. totally cool because I got to tell you, if the three of us, either one of us were in a mental institution, we had that power. I'm pretty sure we'd use it. And I don't think we'd wait that long. <laughs> <laughs> like they're rolling me in the fucking first day at the asylum. Everybody's right. like blanked out of existence. Fucking poor Rob is still strapped to the gurney and can't get out now because he's made everybody disappear. Already. It's a whole, it's one a terrible my, story. So. One of my favorite things about this 
story uh, is the walk that he takes with his aunt and used to take with her and then takes again later, you know? Mm -hmm. That walk where she needs to sort of walk through town to see everything so that she's able to maintain that, like, that memory of it, to keep it that way. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a sweet, that's an awesome touch because then that makes just like a, a simple walk around a neighborhood like a very intense, like scary thing, yeah. you know? And even Aunt Olivia, who, you know, for kind of from what we said, is, is the villain. So he returns yep. home and, and he remembers more and more things. Because when he's in the mental institution, I don't they don't even think at the beginning he really grasped he had this power. So his, things are coming back to him, you know. So yeah. he goes back to this town basically to confront her. And, you know, she talks him into kind of hanging out. And, and there's a lot of other things. They see some extended family and some, some other stuff happens. But, um, yeah, very, very tense. You, you're wondering where the story's going. The two of them have this power. Are they going to forget each other? How are they going to, you know, it, it's it's very well written. But it's also in his bio, it says that, you know, he kind of writes stuff that's very Twilight Zone-ish. And um, this is the story that really struck me as being from the Twilight Zone. I mean, this this could be a modern day Twilight Zone episode if if that show were brought back. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I you know, I'm surprised that it hasn't. But that just because I want to put it out with each one. So if the first one was childhood, this one can sort of be some sort of like frozen adolescence, right? Frozen, like like um, Chris was like sent away when I don't know how old he was, but he's you know. But before marriage, before kids, all that kind of stuff, right? And so I think that there, this is almost that, like, trying to hold on to. Um, I know he's not the one trying to hold on to childhood, but something is trying to hold on to sort of the period of time where, or some sort of holding on to some sort of youth thing. And just that, this one's the only little stretch, I think, of the five. But if you, if you go through them, if you think of the first one as childhood and this one is sort of a frozen trying to hold on to youth, the, this sort of this cycle of life thing starts to come through. And the other thing about Aunt Olivia is that she's, you know, she's the villain. But I don't know. I think some people look at that and go, you know, maybe being frozen in time, depending on when that is, maybe isn't such a bad thing. You know, oh, if, yeah. Let's say you're young and you have your health and they kind of portray some different characters and where they are in their life when, you know, when uh, Olivia has basically frozen them there. So it's not all good. But she's kind of not. As bad as some villains can be, if that makes sense. Like, she's got good intentions, I think, but she's kind of going about it all wrong. And then and how about that the one, another sort of freaky element is that, uh, what's his name, Ben? Mm -hmm. Who's like a 34-year-old little boy? Yep, yep the cousin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that that's a great part, too. <laughs> yeah. <man. laughs> so by this point, when I was reading it, I was like, wow, this guy, you know. And, 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 and of course, because you you know, look through the table of contents as you're reading this one, you know that a story called Love in the Time of Zombies is coming up, right? And so all of us horror fans are like, well, these two are great, and what's that going to be? And I wasn't trying to segue just now, although it probably did. But um, it, it's it's like, uh, yeah, at this point, I was already like, like bonkers about this book and showing my girlfriend and all that stuff. So the next story is called Love in the Time of Zombies. <laughs> yes, I it wanted is. to honor your segue. Uh, <laughs> Thank um, you. Essentially, it starts out with a guy who uh, the it, I like the twist on this the the beginning because like every zombie story has to tell you how the zombie thing happened, but this one was like talking about how things were different in small towns than they were in cities, and this this happens to take place in a small town, and uh, guys uh, driving through town and you know has that encounter with what he thinks are injured or dead people who turn out to be zombies, and then has to have the realization in the moment that they're zombies and, you know, defend himself. Um, and then he meets up with 
he meets up with uh, Scott, who is Scott, uh, yeah, another guy uh, hiding from the zombies in in a diner, and they kind of band together to live out or try and survive this uh, zombie outbreak kind of thing. At like at like a Sam's Club. At a, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's pretty much a Sam's Club bargain bargain barn shopping center. Yep. Wow. And. Um, yeah, what a, and then it seems like that Scott guy's playing like video games all day. Like, yeah, Scott, like, Scott knows what's going on. <laughs> Scott, Scott, Scott is the, the Livius. He's, like, the he's like, why do we have to leave at all, man? Everything's everything's really good here. It's like nothing's changed for that guy. Yeah. And uh, Durand, the, uh, the the protagonist in this story, um, and he goes out exploring and he encounters, as you might imagine from the title, a, a young zombie woman who he becomes enamored with of course yeah i don't even know if we need to say anything else about this story like this Mm -hmm. (laughs) hold on i can that section where where scott sort of realizes that duran is um has like love you know amorous (laughs) feelings for the zombie woman yep that part is awesome it was really good where where they're inside the story is like hey what what are you what are you doing man and then i'm just looking for a pair of shoes (laughs) you're not you know uh you're not a fucking crossdresser, are you? A tranny or something? No, no, they're for someone. Someone. Exactly who might that be? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then he's like, oh, hell no. Her? You're picking out shoes for a zombie? That whole stretch where um, Durand, because by then you're kind of like, oh, shit, this guy, okay, he really likes this girl. He's letting this guy know now, you know? That's like, <laughs> like you know, man, I, I feel like I've had relationships like that where my friends are like, wait, her? <laughs> it's like, hold on, she really just needs a shoe. Wait till you see her with two shoes. <laughs> I swear, man, it's going to be great. <laughs> the, the great thing about this story was, um, and kind of even the execution of this was great, was how it was just hinted at that she might be different than the other zombies. And there was just a couple of ways that it happened where um, it, she didn't have the overall appearance. Like, it seemed like it was kind of toned down from what the other zombies oh, looked yeah. like. Didn't necessarily yeah. seem to have like uh, hunger uh, toward at least Durant, uh, the 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 protagonist. And then there was one moment where he goes out at night looking for her, and he sees her like sleeping against a tree, which zombies don't sleep. So like, just these little tiny things were sprinkled in that made her special and different. Which was like really interesting because people don't really stray from like the typical zombie thing too often. So this was nice to see someone really taking a distinctive approach to this particular person is actually different and that makes her special. I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and then it also makes it seem like you know less dangerous. Well, in terms of like, ooh, maybe he maybe he can approach her. Maybe they can have a future together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you hold out some yeah. hope. Yeah, yeah, you hold out hope for it. And then she eat what well, whoop I won't say it. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Strike that from the record. <laughs> All right. Uh story number four, the long, long breakdown. Um, another one that I thought really had a really strong Twilight Zone um feel. So this is uh, a post apocalyptic um story, but in an interesting way. So it's not a nuclear war, it's not a zombie apocalypse, it's none of that. It's flooded that we flooded out the entire country and the only places that are still above water are basically skyscrapers and it's about a man and his daughter 
um, who, so this is like 15, 16 years, right? Is that right? Cause she was just a baby and she's a teenager now. So we kind of catch up with them as they've um, settled into this penthouse apartment and, you know, and we kind of start to see their, their daily life, but the daughter, she wants more. The father, all he wants to do is, is keep her safe. And she, you know, says, listen, you know, you're not going to be around forever. There's got to be other people. We kind of need to get out and, and, you know, this isn't going to last forever, that kind of thing. So it's that kind of a classic story about the, the youngster growing up, only it's in a time where they're surrounded by water, water everywhere. I think this one might be my favorite one. I, I know that it's the one that pops up whenever, like, you know, when I'm just running or, or writing or whatever, I think of this one all the time. Um, it's just, you know, a classic example of, like, you know, trying to maintain fatherhood in a really, really strange situation. I mean, she's, I don't, the daughter doesn't know any better, right? I mean, she's been, like, raised in this in this. Yeah, way she was time. just a baby when, when her mother died, so, yeah. Yeah, so she she's like, when can I drive the boat, you know? She's <laughs> not, like, like stunned in, she's not having, like, a, you know, like, a ruined for life because of what's happened. It's like, this is her reality, and when can I drive the boat, you know? And so it's like, despite this, yeah, apocalypse and these this crazy floods, it's this, this guy, uh, what's the dad's name? Is there, I don't know, Cassie's the daughter, right? Mm, yep. And Cassie, I don't know if they ever say his name. Yeah, because yeah, it's, okay. yeah, it's first person, I don't think they say. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, so he, um, you know, still has the same sort of, like, problems as any dad, man. It's like, when do I get to take the car out? And I really... Love this one. I also like that it's like he's so justifiably scared of other people. And what a strange like setting to worry about other people, like taking these boats through the tops of these buildings. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you you can imagine if you just like walk through a big city and look up and imagine Taft's story taking place and where like the surface of the water would be way up there and people like rowing from building to building and you know that kind of thing that's a that's a pretty cool setting man it was a very visually stunning story yeah definitely setting wise it was really really impressive yeah um and and carrying that gravity of of the loss and everything as well um in a big way and isolation like it makes you really think about like what if my whole life was just me and this other person who, I mean, it really breaks down your entire existence to, I want to make sure that this person doesn't get hurt. So oh, yeah. uh, a lot of emotional yeah. gravity uh, on top of just like the constant tension of, I guess it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't sound so bad living in a, in a self-sustaining like penthouse uh, condo, but <laughs> in Miami. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, it could be worse, but like, you know, the, the loss and the, and the, and the fright and the constant danger around you really does ramp up the, uh, the nerves. Yeah. This one. Yeah. I, I, I would love to see a movie made of this one, but yeah, it would be way better than Waterworld. I was just thinking Waterworld. Yeah, that was my first thought too. So. <laughs> Fucking Waterworld. Is this going? Uh, how does? Did we talk about your your theme of the circle of life? Oh yeah. No no no. Here here. Okay. So, right. So it's the first story is childhood. Right. We can agree. The second one a bit of a stretch with this sort of like trying to hang on to this sort of adolescence or whatever. I don't know how old he was when he was sent away. Third one is manhood, falling in love. Right. Fourth one, yeah. what naturally follows that is fatherhood. Yeah. Um, and so now you've got, we got went from childhood to fatherhood and the last one is undeniably death. So I think, 
<laughs> it's just piled with that. It's a planet of death. <laughs> and so, so I would be, man, I would be stunned if he wasn't aware of that when he ordered this. What if it was a total mistake? He's like, he's like, we just did it alphabetically or something. Yeah, no, it, it might be, you know? I think in the, in the kind of afterward in the book, um, he mentions uh, his editor, um, or, or the publisher maybe kind of um, at least placing um, visitation, the final story at the end, specifically along the lines of what you're saying. Okay, cool. So I don't I don't remember specifically if he mentioned like all of the orders, but I know he had said that one um, was going in at the end for that very reason. You know, it's it's a to me it's a very interesting thing because I'm I'm an artist and I I, I really do pay attention to the order of the stories. Um, to the type of novel a guy puts out, you know, compared to the novel he put out before, you know, that sort of thing. The, the, the not the evolution necessarily, but the career arc and the and the arc, even in a collection of short stories. It, dude, it, it's like making again. It's like making an album or, you know, whatever it is. I think one of the reasons that like short stories work so well in horror or novellas is that we all like value the idea so much. You know, so much. We're like, oh, what a great idea. So if, you know, if you, you can almost get away with 30, like, brilliant ideas that would like, oh, okay, writing in one collection, you know, and because at least with me, you could, I would be like, oh, my God, this guy is just, like, dripping with ideas, you know. <laughs> and Josh like, is reading a 30-story collection. He's like, this is Friday. Right here. This <laughs> one's Friday. <laughs> and then, like, you can almost, with a, honestly, with a book like this, Taft can have like an entire career in one book because he's got like five, like very, very different stories. And all, you know, okay, let's say he had extended each one of them. Let's say, you know, then we're talking about five novels. Well, for some people, that's like, that's, you know, that's on its way to a career or whatever, like a body of work, right? You know, and at some point, this kind of struck me that this guy had like a lot of ideas and a lot of things going on in one book, but. I agree. Rob, roll us out with this last story. I don't know what to say about this last story. Um, this, this is where it gets weird. <laughs> this is where it gets weird, right? This, this is, is where all the weirdness happens. So it's a story called Visitation, and right off the bat, you're struck with exactly how much science fiction is in it um, because it's basically a guy who wins a lottery to go to a planet where all the ghosts of people who people have lost. Wait, did that make sense? Did I say that right? All the yeah. ghosts. Yeah, the loved ones, the ghosts of loved ones, um, for some reason, um, end up being visible, seeable, like uh, you could actually interact with them at this planet. Um, and this guy wins a lottery to go see his dead loved ones. And he, uh, his wife had recently died. So um, in a tragic, unexpected way at a young age. So he wins this lottery and um, he, he go <laughs> he takes this ship to another planet to go see the ghost of his wife. Um, and there's like robots all over the place and stuff. Um, so yeah, a lot of sci-fi going on. It gets weird. The um, one of my favorite parts of this story is that guy on the on the flight over, CERN, mm -hmm. the like jerk on the plane <laughs> or on the on the flight. Yeah. I love that kind of thing. That even in, even in this situation, you know, with like planet of death and, <laughs> and outer space and this, I, how long does it take? Like a year to fly there or something? Yep. And then there's this, you know, total dick on the plane with him or on the rocket, whatever it is. Yeah, the guy's like, just... yeah, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get rich off doing like yeah. interviews and shit. Right, dude, I'm gonna get famous that, like, from this, yeah. man. It's like, oh, God, man, I'm going to see my dead wife. Go sit somewhere else. Yeah. 
<laughs> the other the other character um, worth mentioning, and I thought that this was done so well, was um, Abram. Oh, yeah. And he is, so everybody gets a, a robot servant because it's the future. So you get a very <laughs> lifelike um, I can't wait you know, for robot, robot servant. Yeah, inter- interact with you. So I don't want to say sentient, but, you know, I mean, the kind that can will answer your questions and actually interact with you much like a human would. And he is obviously a key player as Fenlin, the the protagonist, is on there. And through the course of him, um, you know, trying to see his wife and stuff, um, Abram is a very important part. But pretty early on with Abram, we get the feeling something's not quite right. So, yeah, that there's that that really cool scene where he sees him out by the pond mm-hmm. when he's like looking out the back window or whatever. Fuck yeah. yes, Rob That's and I were talking great, about that great yesterday. Scene. Yeah, you know, and that like the whole book, man, is like littered with. Littered with things like that, those kind of like just impression like moments, you know. I'm thinking of like um, that. What do you call them? A, a sink or whatever. A, a, what is that like lizard called in the first one? Whatever that lizard thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's like it. skank with and an eye. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if us or like Northerners know what skinks are or whatever. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, there's there's. A, there's these sort of like really memorable like like you know dad people right in this water you know floodland and 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 that moment by the pond and and you know oh when the zombie um, girl is sort of like boxed in by the the, the fence yep. you know and she keeps sort of sort of like bumping against it or whatever yep. there's really sort of memorable images in this entire entire thing I would again I would love to see a movie made actually of, of the whole thing yeah the uh, that moment though dude. How creepy, because, like, uh, I don't even want to go into it, but, like, so essentially for the people that are listening that have heard us rave about a scene that they didn't read, the, you're, you have this, like, kind of, not telepathic, but there's, like, uh, technology inside you, so, like, the robot that you're with uh, knows what you're seeing and everything. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the scene is he, he uh, the protagonist was down by this pond, um, and he thought he saw his dead wife, like in the water, like a, an apparition or whatever. And then later on that night, he's grabbing a uh, drink from the kitchen and he looks out the window out to the pond and his robot servant is down by the pond. And it looks like he's talking to something and he's just watching this for a minute confused. And suddenly the robot just turns and looks directly at him and starts walking toward the house. And you're like, yeah. oh. and you're like, oh shit, he knows what he knows he's being watched. And like, you're like, what's going to happen? <laughs> That, yeah, yeah, that was that was tense, and then like you know, so whatever happens happens. But like in that moment, I was like, "Ah, it's very good." I'm yeah. not a big fan of sci-fi, but this story, this was a really really good story, and I mean, it gets even more complex than what we talked about. That's yeah, definitely just a small portion of this story that isn't very long, but it plays much much longer than it is. Yeah. All right, so just to wrap this up really quick before we bring our uh, our author on to, to, to talk about the stories a little bit. Highly recommended, obviously, from Josh. And then um, we, we're seeing it award-nominated award and everything. So um, we did this kind of last year with uh, Chuck Wending was a runner-up for Novel of the Year. and We decided to read his book because we'd already run read the Novel of the Year. And we that, that actually worked out great. It, we found some great stuff that way. So we decided to do it again with, um, with this book. So... Um, I think it was a great idea. The, obviously, Josh's recommend, recommendation was was held some gravity to it, but uh, 
great collection of stories ranging from all different types of genres and everything. Um, but I think uh, you, you, you see the thread that Josh talked about throughout with um, the kind of that circle of life thing going on. But just really, really strong writing around um, like the human condition and, and like the 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 struggles that we go through and, and the, the challenges that we face through life um, in these extreme and sometimes horrible conditions. Um, overall, just an incredibly well-written book um, that even though the content itself isn't thematic or cohesive, it all works really well together, which, you know, I think is a little yeah. bit special. So I'm going to give it four and a half stars. I agree with everything that Rob said. So instead of just echoing all that, I'm going to add this one little um, little bit. I um, I grew up watching The Twilight Zone. I still, on nearly every year, spend New Year's Eve and part of New Year's Day watching The Twilight Zone marathon on sci-fi. That kind of stuff never gets old. And um, I feel that squarely at least three of these stories would be perfect for a, a Twilight Zone revamp, which is like I said, when I saw it in his bio... You know, I thought, like, I'm the only guy that thinks that, right, while I'm reading this, you know, and, and I saw it in his bio, I was like, yeah, I'm apparently not the only guy who <laughs> thinks this, but I love these kinds of stories. So, um, again, as Rob said, there's no theme running to them, except that they're all kind of in that, in that you know, that other dimension. I think that's kind of the, the running theme is that all of them have a weird enough twist in them to, to kind of tie it together that way. And, and I think Rob's right on point. I think four and a half stars is where I go with this, too. All right. Um, I, um, I've, I've been on a strict horror diet for about, you know, 20 years at least in terms of what I read. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I'm never taking a sabbatical again. I took a year off when I was younger. It doesn't matter. Anyway. Um, and the, what you discover is that, you know, you gotta just like horror movies, like you kind of gotta weed through some stuff where you're like, all right, all right, this is okay. It's okay. And then when the, and when the, when the gems, you know, when you pluck a gem from that, that pile and then and the next one is really brilliant man it, like it's 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 like uh affirming for like the whole reason why we love the genre and this did that for me for me this is absolutely no doubt five stars beautiful john thanks for taking time to come on to booked and talk to us about the end and all beginnings thank you for having me i love uh talking about myself obviously authors can't <laughs> talk about themselves it's um, rare that we run into one that we have to prompt. You know what I mean? It's like you ask one question, 20 minutes later, we have to like figure out how to squeeze another question. So we'll see how that goes with, with four of us on this interview. <laughs> I'll try to self-edit, <laughs> but it's different. <laughs> um, yeah, that's actually one thing that we found is, is the most successful is you ask a very basic question and then just shut up and let them talk as long as they want to. Um, makes for really good uh, podcasting and makes for less work for us. So. Um, <laughs> We like to, when we uh, review a book, which uh, you didn't hear this yet because we haven't posted it as part of this same episode, but uh, we just did a review of The End and All Beginnings, and we talked about all five of the, the novellas, and uh, it ended up being rated pretty high. Um, overall, I think it ended up at about a 4.7 out of five stars. Um, right. So um, it, when we when we have authors on to talk about, uh, to do interviews, and, and we've talked about one of their books, we always like to give them the opportunity to kind of talk about their book in their own words. So... Um, uh, if you wanted to, uh, could you give us a little bit of a th uh, your thoughts on what the end and all beginnings is? Well, to me, uh, you know, now that I've got some distance from uh, writing the pieces and assembling them, uh, you know, I've had the time to to, to look at the piece uh, a little bit 
more dispassionately and seeing where the tie-ins are. To me, the whole book uh, is sort of a uh, sort of a look at uh, letting go and holding on, and when it's the best uh, in your life to do one or the other, and and the horrors that come from those kinds of decisions. So it's not, you know, I think uh, if people are looking for a, a bloody horror or, a, you know, something jumping out at you or monsters or that kind of stuff, it's really not that. It's really more to me the kind of horrors that come from those kinds of decisions about, uh, as I said, letting go or holding on when you know it's best to do one or the other uh, and how screwed up those decisions can become because they're hard decisions to make in life. I mean, it's, it's hard to know in life when to let go of something or when to hang on to something. Uh, so that sort of, at least to me, uh, is, is sort of the, the, the book in a nutshell. I'm not as long-winded. Somebody else just hears something really creepy. That was really creepy. What, <laughs> yeah, what that? That, was, that was awesome. That- <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs> that was me going, I'm not as long winded. <laughs> oh, no. Wow, that was all right. That was cool. <laughs> that was really cool. I'm I'm going through each of the stories right now uh, in my memory and imagination and um thinking about what you just said. And yeah, every single one is a matter of letting go letting go and holding on. Obviously, um object permanence is a is a would be a real right yeah real real like um almost blatant example of that but what about the fatherhood and the long long breakdown and going to visit a dead wife and visitation and charlie is sick in the first one and right and um yeah that is and wow that's cool i did not look at it that way and that's exactly but i i definitely felt that when i was reading it that's very cool yeah i think it's a it's a you know each of the stories touches on something you know, love, friendship, memories, uh, a deceased loved one, that kind of thing. That, that, but it all to me, and, and this is not a realization that I had. You know, I'd love to tell you that I'm a lot smarter than, than what I am, but not. Um, this is a realization that I came to after the whole thing was put together. Um, but I think it speaks to when you do this long enough, you start to see in your writing themes, you know, sort of this grand arc of themes that you that your writing tends to concentrate on. And certainly, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years now. Um, I can look back on my work and compare it to stuff that I'm doing now. And it's it's sort of the same kinds of themes that I'm still dealing with. And I think that that's what helped the stories fit together because they were written over a long period of time. Um, it's not like I sat down to write five novellas that I was going to string together into a collection. I mean, the fact that these five stories can hang on to each other and sort of speak the same language or at least speak to the same theme, it surprises even me. So, <laughs> ja, uh, I just want to, before, before we go into a question, Josh, um, you're going to, you're going to at some point talk about your circle thing, right? Well, I guess, yeah. It sounds lame now that I heard like his actual like meaning. Why don't we? Why don't we just drop that shit? <laughs> I mean, like, like his actual. <laughs> no, I think it's his valid. Actual though. explanation was magnificent. <laughs> what? 
No, now you gotta tell me. You can't leave me hanging here like that. No, I, okay. I, I kind of when I was you know going through the book, I started to sort of to whatever unearth a sort of what I thought was like a cycle of life, or uh, or yeah, or no, not a cycle of life, just just from birth to death. From I'd even be willing to say that even the very beginning, there's almost like a you know, what becomes God, and then this, the prologue is like this poetic sort of misty, foggy intro, that could even be birth, right? So then the first story is childhood, right? Right. I think we can definitely say that, and the last story is death, um, right. and and I, I'm going in that order because I'm trying to avoid number two. Um, <laughs> num- n- number three um, is... Uh, is like young manhood, love, and number four is fatherhood, which follows young right. manhood, love, and number five is death. So that number two slot, which is always on an album, in a collection, it's always, man, the sophomore effort, the everything. <laughs> it's always that, that, that's the trickiest spot in every walk of art, man. And But anyway, the number two spot in this case, I could see it as, uh-huh. if I wanted to stretch to this, this life arc thing, I could see that as um, a sort of, trying to uh, hang on to youth or hang on to things the way they were. Sure. So so the second story to me could be sort of like a frozen adolescence or an attempt to maintain youth up ah, too late. Now we are a man and we are in love with zombies. Right. <laughs> you know. I mean, Josh, I don't think that that's out of bounds at all because actually the way this project came together, um, I, I met R.J. Cavender at one of the World Horror Conventions and uh, talked about put some work with him and, and help, having him help me get it out there. And he was very interested in novellas. So I just scooped up a bunch of novellas that I had had laying around because who fucking buys novellas? He said, and sent it to him. And we had kind of, uh, I had kind of already uh, developed a pretty good relationship with Tony Rivera, who's the publisher of Grey Matter Press. And he, uh, he and I talked about the project that I was working on with RJ and he was very interested in looking at it. So at some point, uh, RJ and I, before the pieces were finally edited, we, we thought we'd give Tony kind of a sneak peek at, at what we had. And RJ and I didn't think that Visitation, uh, the story that ended up being the final novella in the collection, we didn't think it really fit. So we held off um, on sending it, but I had forgotten that I had already sent Visitation to Tony. So when Tony actually offered to buy the collection, even before we had it out for submissions to anybody, uh, Tony wanted visitation too. And his theory was very similar to what you were saying, Josh. It was sort of an ages of man thing. And he viewed visitation as the sort of the final piece in that, in that puzzle. So he very much wanted the collection with visitation in it. So ah, I cool. And I thought that was very smart of Tony. I thought it was a very smart take on it. Yeah, it's like it's like I felt like it's like you almost feel the book growing up as you're reading it. You know, exactly. And I I, I still think it's an amazingly uh, insightful uh, thing that Tony did there. Yeah, uh, that's that's very cool. Because I didn't see it again. I'd like to tell you I'm a lot smarter than what I am, but I'm not. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> see, validation. There was some truth in that, man. If I can just say this real fast, um, John, what you were talking about, the whole like seeing seeing uh, themes emerging, uh-huh. that's that's something that I've actually been like, it's been like kind of freaking me out because 
Um, now I'm, you know, I've, I've been trying to write forever, but I, about 10 years ago, wrote my first one, and now I'm like 20 novels deep or whatever, just an awesome right. explosion. You know, I told you that story or whatever, whatever it is. And, and to, to see those themes, like you're like, oh, shit, man, I didn't know that I had like problems with my father like I do, you know. Those kind of things where it's like, man, come on, I'm just trying to tell a, a scary story. I didn't, I didn't realize I was like going through therapy in front of everyone, you know. It's, and it's, it's interesting, isn't it? You you look back and you see, I've yes. touched on unrequited love uh, on numerous stories under numerous different guises, and I, you know, it's really forced me to sit down and think, why do why is that such a big thing with me? Right, right. Yeah, I've but got I, a number. Oh, I've got a number of stories that are sort of about like. Um, what's the word like uh, the characters that are like uh, obsessed with something, you know? And my friends are like, "Oh, that that's just like you." And I'm like, "What? What do you mean?" And I'm, they're like, "Well, why do you think? Why do you think that you think this is so interesting?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, you're right." <laughs> so um, this book has been um, very well received so far, and it has not um, escaped us that that we have two Bram Stoker um, nominees on um, currently. So I don't even know if there's a question around this, uh, but I'll, I'll form it into one. Obviously, I would imagine you know you're something along the lines of you're honored and stuff. But Bram Stoker Award nomination, what is what is that? What does that actually mean to you? Well, for me, you know, again, I've been dabbling at this for about 25 years mostly in short stories and that kind of stuff. And I, and I took uh, a period of time off during that 25 years. I took about seven years off when things just didn't seem to be uh, going as fast as I wanted them to uh, in terms of my writing. So I guess, you know, I, I came back kind of, kind of with uh, both guns blaring uh, four or five years ago. And uh, it, it actually is... Uh, happened pretty quickly. I, it's one of those things that's, you know, 25 year overnight success. But, you know, it's nice. The, the, the reception the book has gotten from people like Josh, from people like Jack Ketchum, and Jonathan Mayberry, and, and, and those kind of people, it, it's, what's the word I'm searching for? I'm kind of whacked out on Theraflu right now. You know, it's, it's validating. It validates me. It makes me feel validated that people that I admire. Uh, in the horror writing industry, uh, have come out in such great support for the book. So, it's 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 a nice thing. It's 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 cool. I feel I feel very cool about it. I mean, not anything I was looking for. Certainly not anything that I set out to do. Um, but uh, it's it's a it's a cool honor. One of the things that we talked about and I talked about, I think, a lot during the um, during the actual review was kind of the Twilight Zone feel to mm-hmm. to this book, which I, as I was reading this, I was thinking that. And then I read your afterward where you kind of mentioned it and it's in your bio. So I, I felt uh, at first I thought I discovered something, you know, and then I'm like, oh, everybody apparently knows this stuff is, has that same feel to it. But my thought about it was Twilight Zone, at least the impression that I get from people always gets pushed off as being science fictiony. Uh-huh. The stories that I that that I really thought fit most from this weren't necessarily science fiction. So I thought a little bit about how horror has emerged to not just be, you know, ghosts haunting things and monsters and slashers and whatever. And I know you talked a little bit about it in the afterward, but um, I, I mean, I guess Twilight Zone was it a huge influence for you? I mean, growing up, or you know, were you a huge fan of the show? And did you think of it as horror? You know, I. I... 
I liked the show. I, I certainly watched it a great deal when I was growing up, but I, I you know, I can't say that I was a, a you know, obsessive fan of it. I really liked Night Gallery, which was Sterling's second, you know, his follow-up to The Twilight Zone. I really liked Night Gallery. Um, I think probably what influenced me most, uh, you know, and I, and I think I covered some of this in the in the afterward of the book was my mother was a big horror fan and uh, my dad was a, a city policeman and worked strange hours and was never around and so my mother liked to watch all these you know the old universal monster movies and hammer films with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing and she didn't like to stay up by herself to watch these so she would keep my brother and my sister and I awake with her and we all all three of us kind of developed to one degree or another an interest in horror um, I think what happened with horror, though, is horror kind of moved past the, at least the film stuff, because it, it tends to be real gory and, and bloody, and that a lot of times doesn't interest me. I think it has, a, you know, I certainly think it has a place in horror, but, you know, especially to read it, it, it doesn't really do that much for me. But I think Twilight Zone, to me, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is horror is, uh, horror, since horror is based on an emotion, you know, horror is one of the few genres, and I can't think of another one actually other than perhaps romance, that's based on an emotion. So you should be able to carry that emotion into just about any kind of setting, whether that's a, a real-world setting or a fantasy setting or a science fiction setting or a Western setting or whatever. I, I think horror is is just a, a, a great blank canvas uh, for you to tell a story with. Um, you know, now, that may be that some of, some of these stories are probably a little less horror than some people like, and some are a little bit more science fiction than some people like, but I think that that's the, one of the best things about horror. It's one of the things that appeals to me as a writer about horror is that you've got this great blank canvas where you only have to create some form of that emotion uh, while you're telling the story. The story can be anything. It can be set anywhere. It can have any kind of characters, any time, any place. Uh, all you have to do is, is somewhat create that, uh, you know, that, that basic emotion or some form of that emotion. So, I, I, you know, I, that's what appeals to horror to me uh, as a writer. Uh, and it allows me to do some things, I think, as a writer that, you know, if you were a straight science fiction writer, it would be hard for you to maneuver, I think, into other areas like fantasy or horror or whatever without losing part of your audience. But I think that horror, since it is such a blank canvas, it allows you to do that. So it, it allows me to entertain, you know, with, as, with the story visitation. You know, visitation is really mostly a science fiction story. It's It's got some you know, a little bit of a horror backbone to it, but it's really more of that Twilight Zone kind of horror. Um, so I, I just, I find it incredibly liberating uh, to work in horror these days because of that. And I, I'd be interested to know what Josh thinks about that too, because, you know, I like reading science fiction. I like reading fantasy. I like reading horror, but I think as a writer, I'm most at home in horror because it is so, it's such a wide canvas that you're allowed to paint on and still attract readers. Yeah, well, one of, one of my 
one of my favorite things about horror is that it, it is that it sort of admits that it's fiction. Um, where you know we're in the day we're in a, a day and age where documentaries are really exceptional now, and they're almost like like so thrilling that it's like do I I can't even tell if I should believe this kind of thing. And and there's you know the news and everything you don't know like you know everything that's oh like it's kind of like this like when people are like oh I love this movie because it was so realistic. And then the first thing that crosses my mind is, no, 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 no. Even, even if it's like a movie about like, you know, a young pregnant mom, it's still, it's still a movie. You know, it's still, it's not realistic. And I've always, it's not reality. And I've always loved that horror admits that. And, and, you know, so for me, like, I like how you said that horror is a great canvas. Cause for me, I couldn't agree more. And it's just, I always, every time I sit down to write, I sort of imagine strapping the imagination into the, cup of a catapult and just you know right before letting it fly turning the lights down in the room a little you know right, and right. just yeah just letting it all wow in the dark you know and yeah. that's and that that it's a very liberating thing i think i'm on the same page as you a strange thing is like how much of horror is still centered around like you know the vampire story like that kind of thing you know right. with right when we're talking about a genre where literally anything goes, anything goes. And then, it, you know, when you tell someone else, oh, I write horror novels, first thing that crosses their mind is a werewolf, you know, which I love those stories. So do you. But but we're talking about, like, you know, literally a genre where literally they, there are no rules, man. Go, go, go. And it seems like a little, it's almost strange to me that somehow it still has that anchor. I, I would love to see that anchor like lifted a little bit more and see where where horror in general would like float to you know yeah i you know other than the zombie story in the end and all beginnings i i i purposely try to stay away from most of the horror tropes out there the, the vampires the werewolves the you know all that kind of stuff um love in the time of zombies which is the zombie story that i have in, in the collection really came about more as a play on I love the time of cholera, um, where I actually lifted the first line or two, I can't remember now, from that novel. Uh, actually, had it came to me in a dream to do this, to lift the, the first or couple lines from that novel and to spin that off into a zombie story. Otherwise, I have fairly limited interest in zombie stuff. Um, I, I like to read horror that, that is about stuff that you haven't encountered anywhere else you know it's it's the stuff that you know i'm not sure that i'm not sure that i can read a horror novel these days and be afraid of a vampire or be afraid of a where i'm I'm just not sure that i'm capable of that anymore right Um, but hit me with something that that i've never seen before that scares the crap out of me oh hell yeah you know that was the thing about your book that hooked me, Josh. Was and, and it's such a, it was such a risk to take with your book, but it paid off wonderfully. Is that not showing the monster because you invest the reader in creating the monster in their mind, and you're never going to be able to make a monster better than what a reader could create in his own mind because the reader knows himself what it's going to scare him. So he's thinking of the thing that's going to scare him to death. Well, you don't know that. You can't write that for every person who reads the book. So I thought that was a brilliant thing. It's, it's the thing that has stuck with me most about your book 
because it has gotten away from that, you know, that tried and true kind of monster. Um, I just think that was such a breath of fresh air. Thank you, man. You know, it's, it's, I still, I got a review uh, recently where I felt I was like, you know, this is a fresh take on, on the, you know, zombie story. I'm like, wait, what? Isn't that a zombie story? But I feel like, you know, it's, it's, I just think, I just think that, you know, the genre gets, I don't know, like outsiders, like assume that that's what we're working on. First of all, I love Love in the Time of Zombies, by the way, that my, I think, I think my favorite story in the book is the long, long breakdown. I don't know if I have a favorite. I love them all. But but the Love in the Time of Zombies is great. I, I was showing my girl Allison like passages from that one. Uh-huh. I love the moment where Scott realizes what his what uh what's the guy uh what's his name? Brand Yeah, yeah. Where he where Scott like realizes like, hey man, what are you what are you doing over here in the ladies' shoe section, you know? <laughs> I love that part, man. That was, that was one of my favorite parts of the whole book. Well, um, to me, you know, the, the thing for me with that story really was injecting some humor into it. Yeah. You know, that was really, I wanted to see how far I could take the story down a humorous path without making it too comical. Because I think that's a, that's a razor's edge kind of thing with, with horror and comedy. It, you make it too funny and you, you undermine the horror, but if you make it too horrible, you undermine the comedy. So, you know, it was kind of a, it was kind of an experiment with, with me to see how funny I could make the story, but still have it be a, you know, zombie gross up story. I actually made my mother vomit with that story. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> actually. And I don't think that that story is a particularly hardcore gore fest. Well, uh, there's that one moment that one, well, a couple moments, but uh, I'm thinking about the one with, uh, I don't want to say it to spoil anything, but, but, uh, Scott's the, demise. The one is <laughs> early on, the, they encounter the zombies. Oh, yeah. Uh, eating, a, eating a pile of stuff that is <laughs> yeah. hard to see in the dark, but when they finally figured it out, yeah, that's what made her. She actually threw up. <laughs> and I thought, I have arrived as a horror author. I've made my mother. <laughs> I want to say before I ask my question that in the course of this conversation, there's been like three things I've wanted you guys to say. And just uh, just between Josh and John, you guys talking, you've hit it. So like I didn't even have to prompt you to say it. So it's pretty awesome. Um, talking really quickly about the zombie story, especially since like uh, of everything you just said. One thing I mentioned in the review is that there was something kind of different about one of the zombies. And I thought that was one of the better parts of the story was how you almost hinted without saying that she might be like set up differently, like not a a typical zombie, Um, which was a little bit, I mean, I think it was kind of an overt endearing factor, but um, I like that when people kind of just kind of mess with uh, and kind of step outside of the norm of, of something. I mean, especially something as ubiquitous as, as zombies, which is like everywhere now. Yeah. And I mean, that was a conscious decision because I thought, you know, I've never been interested in writing a zombie story before, and I'm, you know, confronted with this idea, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. Um, but I don't want it to be, you know, you don't want it to be exactly like every other zombie story you've ever read. Uh, and that, that, you know, currently at least, the zombie trope is so heavily weighed down with all these expectations. It's almost like Star Trek. It's got such, you know, there's so such so many built-in 
expectations that people have for those characters, um, I think it makes it kind of hard to write or, or hard to write and bring anything new to the table. So, you know, my hope was with that story that I tweaked it just enough to, to add something and, you know, brought a little humor to it and it still was able to bring it in under the line and have it be a creepy, disgusting story. The, the thought I had while you were talking, and I agree, um, but for different reasons, I think that werewolves and vampires aren't scary anymore. But so <clears throat> by um, just by birth, vampires are my people. I'm Romanian. So I, I have to side with the vampires no matter what. And I grew up on a lot of vampire fiction. It seems like there is there are no more vampire monsters. They're always the, the, the protagonist in a story. They're always the hero. Right. Um, and the same thing with werewolves. Now, I will say that it can be done well. Glenn Duncan's The Last Werewolf series. I think it's just goddamn brilliant. And it's, it's you know, the hero in, in the first one is a werewolf, the hero or heroine in the second one is a werewolf. The third one goes into vampires and it's done well. But I think that at some point we took probably, and, and talking about, you know, Bram Stoker Awards, you yeah. know, we took the most iconic monster ever, right? And, and we made him into the hero. And, and vampires just aren't monsters anymore. I wonder if someone could pull off in a book, a scary vampire anymore. If someone could actually do it and have it be believable where it's your, your traditional vampires versus humans, not vampires falling in love or, you know, vampires as the heroes, like the Anne Rice books. But I I wonder, um, I wonder too, I I, I tend to agree with that assessment. And, you know, in my way of thinking, the last scary uh, vampire story really that scared me was Salem's Lot. Um, you know, I remember reading that, I don't know how, 15, 14, something like that. Um, and it scared the crap out of me. Um, then I read a couple of the first few, uh, Anne Rice, uh, vampire books before she got all adult porno. In her life. Um, and those were pretty scary, but you know, the last probably 20 years where I've read, uh, any kind of horror literature that features the vampire character, you're right. It's always, there, there's always, I think there's this strain in American readers and American film watchers where they like to, um, you know, they like to think that the bad guy is not that bad. They want to understand the bad guy and they want to think that somewhere beneath that bad guy's, you know, horrible veneer that there's, the, you know, the heart of a hero beating. Um, and it tends to it, it tends to do what I think it has done, what you pointed out to vampires. It's kind of defanged them. So that's where I, you know, I, I'd be, I would love to have somebody write a a, a, a vampire story these days and have it be a you know ball to the wall scary, uh, evil, you know, kind of character. But I, I sort of lament of that happening. I was thinking while you were talking about that, I was trying to think in my mind of how, like, the the process someone would go through to kind of, like, rejuvenate almost, um, like, a scary character that's been kind of watered down. Um, That's my poor way of saying the things you guys said well. Um, Livia said it great. We made the vampires the heroes. Um, and, And everybody just loves, you know, loves these types of characters now instead of, like, them being, you know, uh, essentially bad negative influence, you know, bad parts of the book. And I was thinking, even if you took that like archetype and stripped away all the endearing qualities, um, or like tried to focus on just making it truly evil, 
Uh-huh. Still, it's going to be likable. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of a, an example of, of a character. And the dumb one that I can think of off the top of my head because I'm watching it lately is uh, Sherlock. The Moriarty character is just completely irredeemable. Evil person <laughs> out for himself. Like that type of thing. Like you're not supposed to like this character, but he's so fucking cool. Right. And, and I worry that like in a case where you try to re-villainize the villain, that it's just going to like it's going to have like, you know, cool factor and, and it's not going to work. Like I think we're stuck. We need to come up with some new monsters. <laughs> And I think that's a great point. I think that, you know, as a horror writer, I think I I look at the stuff that's being written these days and I I keep waiting for someone to come up with the next big, you know, monster. I think it's been a long time since we've had a new kind of monster trope or a new kind of trope in the the horror industry. And I think everybody's kind of waiting for that because everybody's continually going back to the – to the same minds to, to mine out vampires and werewolves and witches and, you know, uh, one thing after another. So, uh, so yeah, I, I would, I would be thrilled. God, I'd love to do it myself. If I, could do it. <laughs> I think I, I would love to have somebody come up with the next big, you know, the next big horror thing, the big monster or boogaboo, whatever it is. Man, I, mean, I think about the, I think about this nonstop. What you're saying right now, I'm sure you do too. It's all I think. I go to bed. I'm like, come on, come on, you can do it. <laughs> well, like Josh, I think, think of you... something that the kids are gonna dress up for as Halloween. Think, of, <laughs> I, I want you to think of something, Josh, where little kids are gonna be afraid to say your name to each other. <laughs> I think you're on the right track, Josh, with Bird Box. With like, I mean, really, if you get down to it, like. And I could be completely wrong. I'm no scholar. Like all of the monsters of old, just dealt with like our fear of the unknown, right? Like of like sure. these horrible things happen. We don't know why. We think it's this, and then it kind of grew into a myth. And and that's kind of like a big part of Bird Box is just like literally unknown, and how terrifying that is. And I think people have strayed away from it a little bit. But like, you know, um, in a technology world, if suddenly we were disconnected from everything, that would be its own brand of horror. But like. It's so difficult to, yeah, kind of, we're, we're in such a monster um, mindset that, like, the terrifying things don't necessarily, aren't necessarily, like, embodied the way they used to be, I think. I could just be getting right. super, like, I, I'm probably thinking way too much about it, but. <laughs> See, sometimes I worry about that, too. I'm like, I'm like, do I just know the genre too well? No, I don't think so. I, I still get really scared from a really scary book, you know? Uh, we all do, I think, but I definitely get, I definitely get scared still. Scary. Yeah, I- Scary becomes a different thing, though, because so going back to to the first story in this collection, what I realized and and what becomes God is that what was scary to me through the course of the book was the inevitability of Charlie dying. Right. It was inevitability. That's what was scary about that, because you knew you knew when he says, you know, oh, he's sick. Oh, he's really sick. Then you go, this story can only really end one way. And it's with, with Charlie not being around anymore. And that's what was scary is just waiting to see what how how we get there i guess yeah i and i think that's a good point to me it was that and then what you you know what you want as a child um and what you're willing to give to get that and how you don't understand as a child what that means what it means to sacrifice or what it means to even have a friend i mean you don't know as a child you don't know the 
the depth of yeah you you look back if you're like me at least you look back on the friendships you had as a kid and you're like wow you know i wish i had i I had paid more attention to that and been more appreciative of the fact that i had those kinds of friends when i was a kid so to me it was all that kind of all wrapped up but but definitely the inevitability of it because i think that uh i think as a as a as a kid uh locked in a situation like that you don't realize you know children don't realize the inevitability of some of that stuff and when you do when it when it kicks in it's it's pretty horrifying so um that was one of the stories that my my girlfriend now wife uh she loved that story i i had actually written it as a more of a literary exercise and uh Stopped about three quarters of the way through it and decided that this was where they needed to be a horror writer. And uh, I changed the story and now she hates it. <laughs> she cannot stand it. Oh, God. Um, that's, that was my note, the one note I made on the story because as I was like marking down character names and stuff, I wrote, Sad, sad story. Wait, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> like, just, just, what, what just transpired here? But, um, yeah, no, brilliant. I, I often thought, so I, I think about little kids sometimes, and, and it's kind of the same thing you were saying. It's kind of like um, when you have a toddler, right? And the toddlers will climb all over things because their parents never let them fall. Right. And it's kind of the same thing as you don't understand it until it happens to you. So as children, you know, you grow up, and unless you're in a, a very sad situation like this, you don't understand that there's pain at the end of at the end of this road until it happens to you. So great stuff. Yeah, and you don't understand you don't understand you want something to be different and you're willing to do something uh to affect that change and in in this kind of a story obviously things can happen that will allow you to do that but you don't understand as a child you don't understand what that means you don't understand the ramifications of it um to me that's where the horror of that story comes in you know it's the the without giving too much away the, the the lizard is sort of the personification of that at the end of the story. But, you know, it's not just the horrible things that happen there. It's, it's the ramifications of it all. <laughs> I was, I was trying to think, so I'm going to, I'm going to ask a question uh, and, and cause we kept it really kind of spoiler free and, and I'm glad you did too, but I'm, I'm going to ask a question on behalf of Josh, <laughs> <laughs> the story though, right? It was all canon. All of that happened, right? It wasn't some kind of, was it an, it wasn't like, an adult looking back on on this story and, and seeing more into it than it was right like all everything that we, we read in that story happened yes you mean within the story yes 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 okay yes yeah and i think that that's where i tend to lose my wife because she doesn't like you know when the stories kind of veer off into you know well that's not believable well it's a horror story it's a you know you have to accept it within the framework of the horror story she's like ah, i don't <laughs> I, don't, I don't i don't like where that's going so yeah in, in the framework of that story i think he, the things that that are recounted in the story about him actually happened okay. in my mind <laughs> i guess every reader is going to read it whatever they want but as the author it was sort of certainly my intent to say that yes the, the characters recounting the story as it happened 
it's interesting because we talked, we, we kind of pushed Josh on this when we reviewed his book and interviewed him initially. And I was like, come on, you know what those creatures wanted, right? And he's like, well, I'm like, come on, you got to tell us. I, I don't want you to tell us what they wanted. I want to know that you know what they wanted. Like, that's important as a reader sometimes. So sometimes. And I think that, uh, you know, I have a book that's coming out uh, in May. And uh, it's a freestanding novella. Uh, Gray Matter is, is going to put out this freestanding novella. And uh, it's, a, uh, it's a horror story, but it's kind of a more of a real-world kind of horror story. Um, and I know that I'm going to get questioned about whether it happened to me or not. And I don't want to give away too much about it because it's, kind of it's kind of a harrowing story. <laughs> Uh, but it will be interesting to see how people react to it once they once they read it. Uh, Did it happen to you? <laughs> yeah, you know, perhaps, perhaps not. I don't know. I, I wrote an afterword to it that just totally evades the question, you know, in a nice way. But, uh, you know, I think sometimes it is important to the reader to know. But I think sometimes my take on it is, you know, sometimes – what I'm doing is writing a story and I just want you to pay attention to the story. Don't pay attention to whether or not you think, uh, this happened or this happened to me or it's based on a true story or whatever. Just read the story and, you know, accept it within the framework of the story that I'm offering you. So Stephen King, are you guys, have either one of you guys read the dark tower series? I know it's not Rob's thing, but yes, uh, he handled that perfectly at the end of that series. It's like the end of the story that there is an author's note saying, look, I know a lot of you are going to be disappointed with this ending. There is an actual ending. I'm, I'm actually suggesting you don't read it, <laughs> but if uh, you want it, here it is. Right. You know, who doesn't go forward and read that? And I was just kind of blown away by, you know, by the actual final page of the book, you know, and I think he handled that pretty, pretty well. Well, I think that if you're, you know, you're a writer and you're honest, with your work, the story, and I've said this before to, in talking with other writers and in talking in interviews, you, the story pretty much, to me at least, usually dictates the ending. Um, it's not something where I, you know, oh, I'm going to be really crappy here and, and concoct this fantastic ending. You know, the, the, the ending usually comes as part of the story organically, with me at least. So, Sometimes I'm not happy with the <laughs> with the ends of my own stories, um, but I think sometimes to screw with it too much, it 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 takes away from the it take it, it takes away from the process and it takes away from the story. So uh, most of the times, unless the ending is just really coming in on a sour note, a really horrible sour note that doesn't ring true to me, I'll let the ending stand the way it is. Well, I, I look forward to meeting you down in Atlanta. You guys, will you guys be down in Atlanta? Um, we will not be in Atlanta. Um, we typically go to about one conference a year, and that's the AWP conference, which apparently most a lot of people don't, <laughs> don't know about it, but it's more literary. And um, the reason we go is just because we know a handful of people that always go to it, and we hang out and drink with them. So um, that's kind of where we're at uh, with that. Um, at least for now, I'm sure that over time we will kind of expand and stuff but um yeah for now it's just the awp one time and uh, time and money are such a factor but yeah josh i look forward to to, to meeting you and hopefully we'll both have good news at the stokers yeah no joke are you are you um are you nervous about it you know no i'm not i i 
I would love to win it. I'm not going to lie to you. I'd love to win it. Uh, but if I don't, uh, I'm not, I certainly will not curl up into a ball and, and die. I've got some pretty cool things coming up. And obviously, you know, one of them we have a yeah. project working on together, which is pretty yeah. cool. Oh, <laughs> you can't. Are you just going to hang it out there like that? <laughs> well, to, to give you a, uh, give you the idea in a nutshell, it's uh, there's a pizza place here in St. Louis called Blackthorn, which is kind of a, a dive bar, but they produce some pretty good quasi Chicago deep deep dish pizza. But it's pretty much of a, a dive bar, and uh, my my wife and I were there uh, about a year ago, and I I went up to use them. The restroom, went into the restroom, went into one of the stalls. And, and, and it's, horror happened. Yeah, and that's when it happened. Um, it's one of these places where the, the entire inside of the place is covered with graffiti. And uh, I'm standing there doing my business. I look over at eye level, and somebody has scrawled uh, across the uh, plywood. I can taste the blood. And... Uh, you know, that just stuck with me. I thought, that's a great, I got to do something with that. That's great. So knew a couple of writers that I kind of liked, uh, that I was kind of getting into up and coming people. Uh, and I talked to a couple of them, but I thought it would be a cool thing for each of us to take that title. I could taste the blood and write a novella on it. Um, everybody's novella would have the same title and it would be interesting to see how each of us comes up with a different story, different take on that. Um, so we have everything. We have everything pretty much underway, and you know, Josh and I got connected uh, through exchanging books uh, during the Stoker cycle, and uh, struck up our long distance love affair. And uh, I I invited Josh to participate, and Josh has gallantly agreed. So it'll be uh, trying to put everything together by the end of March. Uh, and I, I've already have a couple of publishers that are interested in uh, taking a look at it. So uh, I think it's gonna be pretty cool. It's 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 me, Josh, uh, I kind of a weird horror writer named Eric T. Johnson, whose work I've I've admired for a while. Uh, a young up and coming uh, horror writer named J. Daniel Stone, and uh, to kind of really throw a curveball in the mix. A, a really cool transgressive fiction author who lives here in St. Louis, which is where I live, by the name of Joe Schwartz. So um, these five novellas are each going to take a, a crack at this. I can take the blood thing, and I, you know, from what I've heard from everybody else, I, I think it's going to be cool. I think it's going to be a, a really diverse look at uh, some people's take on on that. Uh, and my story is going to rock. <laughs> <laughs> my, my story is going to roll. That good. My story. <laughs> I haven't written a good body horror story in a while, so it's going to be kind of cool. I'm into it right now, so uh, I'm kind of jazzed. I, I so, yeah, so. I'll tell you, John, we broke. We had a moratorium on not doing collections this year. Yes. And it took us all the way to March uh, 11th to break that. Yeah. <laughs> 
And, and I just, I, you, you didn't get very far past the scrawled graffiti in the bathroom when I was already planning on breaking this again in the event that it actually comes out in 2015. So I think it will. I, you know, uh, I, like I said, I think we've got some pretty good interest with a couple publishers. So I feel pretty good about it. I think it's going to be a cool book. Yeah. Our res- one of our podcast resolutions for the year was to, uh, not review any um, short story collections or anthologies. Um, <laughs> but resolutions really are made to be broken, right? So, uh, But we can always, when, when someone's like, hey, will you review this? We have an excuse. We'll be like, well, we made this resolution. So, yeah. 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 We already broke it three times, so we're not going for four. <laughs> yeah. So, so, right. yeah, <laughs> yeah, so that's, uh, that's what I'm working on right now. And then I have a novel that I'm working on. short stories here and there that kind of thing i've got a, 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 a another freestanding novella that i've got with another publisher that should be out towards the uh towards the end of the year i would think so so things are going well yeah that sounds great man what's the name of the novel the fearing cool all right i'm excited <laughs> it's kind of a youngian I don't know if you can hear me because my cold is starting to get really bad. Now. It's kind of a Jungian uh, take on on uh, horror, so uh, I'm having a blast with it. But it's kind of my sprawling epic horror story. It's got a cast of dozens of characters, and it's going to be long. And so, but it's cool. I'm I'm very uh, very caught up in it. So. Oh man, I'm, I I would love to read like a, a brick of a book from you, like what six hundred pages? That everything like that kind of thing. This is gonna be a big book. Yeah, yeah. good. I want to write one of those. I, it's so funny. I always set out to do that, and then every time I finish a book, it's like this slim Shirley Jackson sized book. I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, shit, man. I'm I guess okay. I'm like Shirley Jackson. That's cool. Philip <laughs> <laughs> K. Dick. <laughs> uh john before we wrap up uh before we wrap up uh, the episode is there anything um understanding that on the podcast we've already talked about bird box so you don't really need to do that anything that um that you'd like to kind of promote that we haven't talked about your stuff someone else's stuff uh you know my good friend joe schwartz who's going to be participating is uh i can taste the blood He's got a new novel out, and, and Joe, uh, you know, Joe's wheelhouse is basically transgressive fiction, uh, which I always describe as horrible things happening to horrible people. He's got a new book that just came out this week. It's called uh, "Ladies and Gentlemen Presenting the Cohen Brothers," and it's kind of a sex, drugs, and rock and roll book. Joe Joe came up through uh, the local music grind. And has a really good take on uh, that milieu and uh, the darkness and the dinginess and the depressive qualities of, of the local rock scene. Uh, and it's a great book, so I would I would definitely uh, put a plug in for that. Yeah, definitely. You can get that on Amazon. Uh, it's Joe Schwartz. Josh, what about you? Anything you want to plug before we say goodnight? Yeah. Um... I, like I told you guys, I'm reading every book in the uh, category that Bird Box is nominated for, Best First Novel. And I, I just read J.D. Barker's Forsaken, and I loved it. Uh, the, I, learned, I read that too. That's a good book. 
man, the the witch um, flashback sequences to the to the witch trial scene, man, that stuff is great. Yeah, it's got a nice historical bent to it, which is cool. yeah. I could read an entire novel like that, you know. I would love to for him to write a whole book like that. That old timey, like trying to like you know put this witch to death. Man, that part was really good. Anyway, yeah, I would suggest uh, J.D. Barker's Forsaken. It's great. All right. I'd like to thank both of you gentlemen for taking um, quite a big chunk of time to come on and talk to us. This has been, no, this has been an, an absolutely epic episode. This is terrific. So thank you again to both of you. And, and best of luck with the Bram Stoker Awards. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I, I feel like, am I the one that's bloating all this? Everywhere I go, it's like two hours, three hours. <laughs> no, I think I was pretty long-winded too. <laughs> Good. We're both bloaters. That's right. <laughs> All right. Once again, you just listened to a gigantic, really fun conversation with uh, John F. D. Taff, author of *The End and All Beginnings*, and uh, our co—I guess—interviewer Josh Mallerman, author of the *Bird Box* book that we love so much. Both Bram Stoker Award nominees, and uh, I, I got to tell you. I haven't read all of them, but God damn it, these guys both got a great shot at it. Yeah. Um, also, uh, there's a, a little fraternal feeling of love because we were all nominated for This Is Horror Awards, and most of us, we, well, everybody was either a winner or runner-up, so um, got some, got some, it was like hanging out with uh, like a, an exclusive club kind of, right? That's how I can you only imagine if we brought Michael Wilson on to, it would have been like a six-hour episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is a reason that Mike we didn't bring any more people in. <laughs> yep. So, um, any rate, you can catch uh, more from John Taff at johnfdtaff.com or on Twitter at johnfdtaff. T-A-F-F, because I know this is audio, and you might be thinking I'm saying Taft, but I'm not. I He's definitely not saying Taft. I have um, notes. That was keeping me from doing it. <laughs> Yeah, so that's it. Um, thanks for listening to this gigantic, awesome episode. Uh, next episode is going to be our... What are you laughing at? In a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, in our, yeah. <laughs> because of scheduling difficulties, our next episode, which will be just in a few days, is uh, our review of uh, Less Than Hero by a, a common uh, uh, author on the show, S.G. Brown. We've read how many books for the, uh, the two, podcast? Three? Two. two. This no. is number three. Three. Lucky Bastard. I saw Zombies Eating Santa Claus. And um, Big Egos. That's the, So this will be the fourth. Oh, fuck, you know what? You're right. God damn it. Yep. Well, and you know, if this podcast was around like 10 years ago, we probably would have thrown Faded and yeah. uh, Breathes in there, yep. too. Yeah. So, so, yeah. A little more S.G. Brown love coming your way uh, in <laughs> just a couple days, depending on. 48 hours. Sorry, it's yeah. not 48 hours, but it's close. So. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. All right, so until then, I am Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snudden. Keep reading. <laughs>